Hello, my name is Barry KLO Hullenberg. It is March 15th, 2021, and I donated my kidney to a stranger four days ago. Welcome back to Renal 911. Uh, this is my first follow-up episode since the uh, since the donation, which is just a very strange sentence to say. And uh, wow, do I have a I have a lot of I have a lot of things to say. I have a lot of feelings. I have a lot of updates. Um, I hope that you have enjoyed the previous episodes about my journey to becoming a kidney donor. Um, I did this project uh, partly as like an audio journal for myself because I am quite terrible at journaling, um, but also I wanted to keep a record of of the truth of of the day to day, you know, even the the minor details of what this journey is like because this is not something that a lot of people have experienced. Um, the last numbers that I saw is that there's about two thousand non-directed kidney donors in the United States, which considering the population of the United States is about 300 million people, that is 0.67% of the U.S. population has donated a kidney to a stranger. Uh, That is less than 1%. That is not a lot of us. We are in a very, we are in a very exclusive club. So uh, shout out to all my fellow single beans out there. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I just, I wanted to be very truthful about this process. Um, when I was really digging deep into the research about the process and the repercussions and the recovery process and all the bits and bobs that go into it, um, a lot of the literature I found and a lot of the blog posts that I found were very much focused on um, the altruism inherent in in doing something like this. And that is a big part of it. And it's very important. And it's what's really like kept the fire alive within me in these Gosh, it's been five, six years now since I started considering doing this. Um, But I feel like articles like that kind of gloss over uh, what the day-to-day experience is like. And you do get a few testimonials about, you know, the the pain post-surgery and how long it took to recover and stuff like that. But uh, not a lot of it really focuses on the, the emotional truth of of what it feels like to go through this uh other than kind of looking at the big picture stuff so I'm, I'm trying to do this podcast as a way to look at the small picture which for me is actually very difficult i am very much a big picture person um which is great in terms of like keeping myself grounded and like taking everything in perspective but sometimes you really do need to focus in on the individual experiencing the experience um and and that's what that's what keeps us human. So that's why I did this podcast, and that's what I want to focus on with today's episode, um, which is my very first um, post surgery. So let's get into it. So I went in for surgery on Thursday, March eleventh. I was told to show up at the hospital at nine fifteen in the morning, which, um, if you know me, is much too early for anything to happen. So. I uh, I had ordered an Uber to pick me up because we cannot be bothered to take public transit to the east side when one lives in Inwood, especially at that hour of the day. Um, a very sainted friend of mine sent me an, an Uber gift card to do that. Um, 
I booked the car the night before, showed up outside for the pickup time, and no one came to pick me up. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. This is a great, this is a great way to start maybe one of the biggest days in my life. So I tried not to take that personally, but me being me, I take everything personally. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm working on it with my therapist. But um, so anyway, I canceled the ride, ordered a lift. It was fine. Nobody caught on fire. We were great. Made it to the hospital. Um, I I chose I chose to do this alone. I chose to show up to the hospital, go through all the, the pre-surgery um, checkups and stuff by myself, um, despite the fact that I had quite a few people reach out to me and say, hey, if you want uh, somebody to come with you. And even my coordinators were like, okay, well, and, you know, if anybody's coming with you um, to drop you off to the hospital, they can wait in this room and do, 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 do. And I was like, nah. And, and I completely appreciate all of the offers and everybody has shown me an incredible amount of kindness and generosity through this whole thing, which is something I'll touch on later because it's it's a whole damn lot is what it is. Um, but I chose to do it alone, partly because I am a dyed-in-the-wool introvert and I like to process my feelings by myself. But I, I, I wasn't sure what I would be feeling on the day of surgery. And I didn't want to have to worry about or, or even consider the presence of another human being. <laughs> who I knew, who cared about me, um, in addition to my own. And not that anybody would ever try to, like, make me focus on them when I'm going through my own stuff. But just being being able to be alone, for me, it was such a blessing and such such a, a choice that I made for, for me um, so that I could, you know, be alone with my thoughts and I could watch 47 TikTok videos in a row if I was nervous and uh, you know, play Candy Crush and watch Duck's Tales on the uh, on the hospital TV. Um, I I needed to process things in my own way, in my own time, and at my own speed. So that is why I chose to go alone, um, despite the protestations of other people. But uh, c'est la vie. So I got to the hospital. Um, walked inside. There was a whole kerfuffle with getting me checked in, and I was like, "You've got to be kidding me." This is like the biggest day of my life and and everything so far has been like one misstep after another. But I eventually got checked in and they took me into kind of a holding room and I had to change into the gown and the whole thing. I looked very, very sexy in my in my hospital scrubity scrubs. And uh, I waited for a long time because the surgeon actually had a donation earlier that day. So uh, they were still, you know, cleaning up and doing everything they needed to do in order to prep for my surgery. And I said, listen, I got nowhere else to be today. Y'all take your time. Make sure that everything is is spick and span the way it's supposed to be. And they're like, okay, great. Uh, the problem was I had to uh, consume nothing but clear liquids from noon the previous day up until uh, 8.30 in the morning on the day of the surgery because I was scheduled to go in at 10.45. So that was the way that they timed it out. Uh, by the grace of God, one of the things I was allowed to have uh, on the morning of surgery up until 8.30 was a cup of black coffee. No cream, no sugar. I don't take it with sugar, but I do take half and half. So I drank a cup of black coffee, which was a friggin' blessing because I would have been murdering people if I had had to go through all of that and then be super delayed <laughs> without caffeine. So that was an absolute boon. 
Um, I did not end up going into the OR until about 12 o'clock that day. I was supposed to go in at 1045. Um, that was a little frustrating, but again, I, I had nowhere else to be. So it was just kind of a uh, an extra amount of time to meditate and center myself and, you know, really come to terms with, with the, the reality of what I was about to do. And there were definitely a few times where I just, I had this like weird, not out of body experience, but a little dissociative a little bit. Um, that is something that I've struggled with for many years is um, dissociation and depersonalization syndrome. Take give a give that a Google if you want to get real sad for a while. Um, but I definitely had a bit of that like separation of kind of looking at myself and going, "What the fuck are you doing here? You are voluntarily going to go under the knife for someone you don't know." And I'd be lying if I said that wasn't the first time I thought that to myself. And I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of people listening to this podcast who have also thought that when I've talked to them about this process. But, um, you know, it's a very real, it's a very real thing that I had to, uh, had to reckon with. And at the end of the day, like I said, I'm very much a big picture person. I knew that what I was doing was something that I was doing by choice that this is something I have wanted to do for a very long time because I know it's going to help somebody. And I, I am a firm believer that existence is very hard. Life is very painful. It is an inherently difficult thing to survive. And if I can make it slightly less hard for someone, then, then I will. And that's what I, you know... That's what I kept thinking the whole time. And, uh, you know, the, the lizard brain part of me was like, you can run. You can go right now. You don't have to go through with this. No one would fault you. Da, 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 da. Um, but even that voice was so small. It was whispering in the back of my head almost as if, like, like it, like it had to show up. Like it was a required EPA call. Um, it held no weight. It was there because it had to be there because it's a survival instinct. It's... It's saying, you know, you don't have to undergo pain if you don't want to. And um, yeah, and I've, I've thought a lot about that in this recovery process because I am in pain. I'm in pain currently as we are recording this. We. It's just me. I'm in a closet. Um, I am. I have two lidocaine salon paw patches on my shoulders, which is where most of the pain is. Um, and I do have pain in my abdomen because, you know, they took an organ. But pain is pain is a a constant presence pain is an old friend i don't look at pain as as an enemy on the horizon to be feared and maybe that sounds a little bit more esoteric than i mean it to sound but but it's true um so the the prospect of of knowing that i'm going to be in pain is not enough of a deterrent for me as a general statement. And maybe that, I, I feel like that's something that a lot of performers share, especially performers in musical theater or performers who have a dance background. Um, you're you're gonna be sore all the damn time. So you may as well do cool shit while you're sore, you know, like, and yes, there's definitely a toxic culture around like, just push through it and blah, blah, blah. And like, don't, don't call in sick ever. We don't do that here. We are not about that life. But uh, all this to say, that's sort of 
if you were raised, you know, around the time that I was in the early to mid 90s, I think that that was very much a normal part of of doing what we do. Um, you know, that that you were you were probably going to be in pain a lot. But you are going to accomplish amazing things despite the pain. So um, that was kind of what kept me going. That's what made me walk into the OR. Now, there is a great story that I I will be telling this to my great-grandnephews until I die. Um, so a few months ago when I was having one of my first um, meetings with, like, the social workers and the coordinators and stuff at the at the transplant clinic, they told me that a a symbolic sort of gift that they give to the donors, um, if you're a non-directed donor, is they let you walk into the OR on your own two feet. You don't have to be wheeled in on a gurney. You can kind of walk in, you know, of your own volition as as a, a way to honor the fact that you're doing this voluntarily. And me, being the extra bitch that I am, asked that, that person, um, can I walk into music? And they were like, oh, yeah, I suppose so. And, you know, what would you like to walk into? So I got it in my head that that was just like a normal thing. I don't know how I conflated that, but I did. So this whole time in the last, like, week or two leading up to surgery, I was at, I was reaching out to my coordinators and stuff. And I said, oh, by the way, um, the walk-up music, how, how do we go about doing that? And they're like, the what now? I said, the walk-up music, you know, like, uh, a couple months ago they said I could do that. And they're like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I will we'll try but what hmm so I was like having to uh explain what I meant and uh they were like well you know we can't guarantee anything because we don't have any precedent for this but uh sure so I requested that I walk into the OR to Beyonce's who run the world girls girls and they made it happen despite having never done that for a donor ever in the history of that hospital, some blessed saint on the surgery team, and there were like six or seven people in that room before the surgeon even got there, uh, somebody figured it out and put it on the PA system in the OR. And so I got to walk in to the operating room in my, in my cotton robe and my mask to who run the world, girls, girls. And it was fucking epic. We had, we had a dance party. Because you, you can't not dance to that song. That's just crazy talk. Um, and the entire staff was grooving with me. And we just had this little baby kiki, you know, before we before we did the slice and dice. And um, one of the head uh, staff members in the OR, she was like bouncing it out with me. And she's, she's an older woman, probably, I don't know, maybe in her 50s or something. Older. I'm so sorry to everybody listening. I'm 36. Who am I to judge what the hell old is? Anyway, she was older than I am is the point I'm trying to make. And uh, we, we finished our little, our little dance party, and she was like, in my 35 years of medicine, I have never seen that. That was so much fun. Thank you for that. I was like, hell yeah, thank you. Please, please, please do well. And yeah, so uh, I, I had a dance party. I believe I did the running man and the cabbage patch because, you know, YOLO. And then I climbed up onto the surgery table, and they gave me sleepy time drugs and I said bye and I went under and I woke up several hours later in the recovery room uh by my lonesome which actually was kind of nice because I had gone to Florida with the sweethearts um 
week and a half, two weeks ago, even though all of my COVID tests had come back negative, I had done the correct quarantine procedures, everything was like copacetic, they still considered me a slightly higher risk patient because I had traveled to Florida. Side note, Florida, get your shit together. Um, which ended up being a frustrating process um, post-surgery. But what it did mean is that they wanted me to be isolated, which as an introvert was a joy. <laughs> so my recovery room was just me. Um, I was in pain for sure. And, and they came in and were taking vitals and giving me pain meds and stuff. Um, and the surgeon, I had given them Yaniv's phone number. So the surgeon had contacted Yaniv to let him know that I was awake and the surgery went well. So he, you know, put the blast out on Facebook, told my parents, told my roommate. Uh, so everybody was like informed, but I ended up waiting in that friggin' recovery room for hours. And and once I was like semi-cognizant, uh, one of the little uh, attendants that were, that was little, one of the attendants uh, in the hospital who was, who was working with me, I turned to him and I said, hey, can I, can I get my phone, please? Because all of my belongings were in, like, bags that weren't in the room with me. And he said, oh, well, I'm going to have to, like, put in a request for a transport to, to bring it over. And I said, okay, fine. But, yes, can I, can I please have my phone? You know, I want to talk to my, talk to my people. And he never came back. So, and then I fell back asleep again because I took some oxy and goodbye. Uh, but it wasn't until... God, I think it was like 8 p.m. or something like that. It was it was very late, whatever it was. Um, there was there had been a change in shift, and I was still in that stupid recovery room. I was supposed to have gone up to my my hospital room um, well before then, uh, which is a different story. But um, so this other attendant came in to to check in on me, and I said, "Hi, what time is it?" And he told me, "I was like, you've got to be kidding me." I said, "Please, can I get my phone?" The other guy was supposed to bring it, and I never, I never got the phone. And he said, oh, God, yeah. And he came back within five minutes with all of my bags, handed me my phone, which, thank God, still had a charge. Um, and I updated people and let them know. But, like, for a good four or five hours, nobody had heard from me other than the surgeon saying that I had woken up. Like, it was, it was frustrating enough for me to be ignored to have like a very simple request be ignored i cannot imagine what people who were like hoping for updates from me were feeling so if that was any of you that's what happened and i am very sorry so because of the the covid florida thing um there had been a kerfuffle um the the oh god what's the charge nurse so like the head nurse on the recovery floor at Two North, where I was supposed to be wheeled up to, um, had signed off and said, great, yeah, send her up. And right when I was supposed to go up, they changed shifts. There was a shift change. And the new charge nurse said, oh, she's been to Florida? We don't want her on our fucking floor. She's a risk to the other patients who are up here. We don't want her. She has to stay in that little recovery room. Now, Keep in mind, I'm finding out all of this like fourth hand, and it's only because I am I'm like asking to be updated. These are none of this information that I'm getting is being given to me voluntarily. Nobody is coming in to check on me and give me updates on the situation. I am having to ask 
for updates. Ooh, girl, I was furious. And I was furious and also medicated. So, you know, we were feeling a, a variety of emotions. And I, and I was alone. I was all alone. Um, which normally is not a problem for me. But in this case, I was like, I, I am not, I do not possess the necessary emotional energy to fix this problem. Uh, but at this point, this was now like eight o'clock at night on a Thursday and my coordinator and my social worker had gone home hours ago and they were the only people that I had as contacts in the hospital itself. And the surgeon had gone home as well. So I'm like emailing them, hoping to God that they're nice enough to check their email after hours, which thank God they were. And they figured it out and advocated for me. And so 10 points to Judith and Farah. But like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, eventually they got it worked out. But I, I kept asking the, um, the nurse who was sort of on duty in my recovery room. I was like, hey, even if you like call somebody to, to fix this or, or whatever and you don't hear back, can you just let me know that you called can you can you please just give me the information about what you are doing and what is happening, even if there's no resolution? Because right now I am stuck in a room in isolation with no contact and I don't know what the fuck is going on. And it's scaring me. And she's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I guess I guess I should do that. And here's the thing. One of my thousands of side jobs is as a simulated patient uh, in the in the simulation lab at a hospital in New Jersey where I pretend to be a patient, I pretend to be family of patients, depending on the scenario for um, nurses and doctors who are in training. So I know, at least at Holy Name Medical Center in Teaneck, New Jersey, I know what the standards are for what um, healthcare workers are supposed to offer to patients and what... what <laughs> what they are capable of doing, who they are capable of contacting, and like what certain protocols are. So I I had at least a little bit of knowledge as to like, it's not normal for me to be left alone in a room with no information and no updates because you can't be bothered. It is not normal for me to be left alone in my room with none of my belongings and no contact to the outside world. That's not normal. That's not okay. Um... Now, luckily, the end result is that finally the charge nurse on the night staff allowed me to go up into my room. Because the other problem was that they were concerned that if the night nurse didn't allow uh, for me to go up, that they were going to give the room to somebody else. It's like, you've got, I, 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 can't, I can't do anything about this. I, can't, I cannot advocate for myself. Not being able to advocate for myself is an unpleasant experience for, for me. Uh, by a, mm, one of the worst. Um, so, but I, and I kept asking, I was like, how, how does this nurse have the right to override, um, a decision that the nurse from a previous, um, staff authorized? Like how, how I don't understand how that chain of command works. Like how does she outrank the daytime nurse? How does she get to say no to an order that was already signed off on? That was confusing to me, but it eventually worked out. I made it up to my room. Uh, I had a room all to myself, which was great. It's a beautiful, I had a river view, um, which I'm sure was lovely on the first night, but I was in a lot of pain and really drugged up, and I didn't know what was going on. So <laughs> I didn't really get to enjoy it until the next day. But my my fear, because of 
because there was so much friggin' drama surrounding me getting up to that room in the first place, my fear was that by the time I got up there, the staff was going to be so like, ugh, this bitch is finally get, you know, now we have to take care of her. And that they were going to like be rough with me and, you know, give me the bare minimum because they were spiteful that that there had been drama surrounding my getting up there. And my coordinators were like, no, 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 they would never do that. And they were half right. Half of the staff that I worked with that first night were great. The other half gave not a single fuck. Um, I had people in in transferring me between the gurney and my bed. Um, I opted to to do it myself. I mean, with help, obviously, but like as opposed to being like physically lifted off the bed by someone else and, and planted on the other bed. Because the gentleman, the doctor who accompanied my bed upstairs with the like nurse who had been with me in the recovery room, she, this nurse by herself is maneuvering my bed through the hallways and like is having a bit of trouble with it because it's a big bed. The doctor could not be bothered to like help her navigate it, did not touch my bed once. All he was carrying was a clipboard. He had, he had another functional hand, but it was beneath him to help maneuver the bed. I even asked the nurse about it later and she was like, um, I mean, we all, we all have our jobs, you know, and he's, his job is to hold the clipboard. And I was so fucking furious for her. Oh my God. I was about to smash the damn patriarchy right then and there, but you know, I was a bit incapacitated. So there, you know, so a couple of them like were really rough with me and, and were trying to like lift my legs faster than I was able to, you know, adjust for it. And I, I had to be like, guys, stop. Stop. You know, let 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 me tell you what I need rather than you flinging my fucking body around. Oh, girl. But we made it because we scrappy as fuck. We made it. It was fine. Um, I, I got woken up once every one or two hours for that whole first night, either for pain meds or to get my vitals taken, um, which I'm grateful they did. And I know that's their job. But damn, I just wanted to sleep. All I wanted to do was sleep. Um, and I woke up the next day just real grumpy. <laughs> just real grumpy. Um, I was only allowed a liquid diet, so I was given for breakfast and lunch that day uh, like chicken broth and apple juice and and jello. Uh, man, I never want to see orange jello ever again for the rest of my life. My coordinator came in, Judith Hamilton, who is a dreamboat, um, about halfway through the day, check in on me, see how everything was going. And I told her sort of what had gone on the day before, and she was very angry for me, but was glad that everything had eventually worked out. But the best part about it was she told me that she had just, like right before she had come in to see me, she had just been in to see uh, my recipient the gentleman who received my kidney. And she said, I just saw him and he is bouncing around like a kid at Christmas. Those were her exact words. I will never forget that. And I, I did at that point, I did not give a single fuck about anything that had just happened, about any of the frustrations, about any of the inconveniences and phone calls. And, you know, that all went poof in an instant. Um, and I am not exaggerating when I say that, that, uh, that meant the world to me knowing 
knowing that he woke up immediately feeling better. Just, I rode that high for the whole rest of the day. I was also on oxycodone, so that was the other part of the high. But I rode, so that was the physical high. The emotional high was knowing that he was doing well. And uh, my coordinator said, you know, he he was bouncing around and saying, you know, I, I want to meet her, I want to meet her, um, which is something they 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 don't allow non-directed donors and recipients to meet until after the the donation. Um, and it has to be agreed upon by both parties and the parameters as to how you meet has to be agreed upon, which I appreciate. Um, and I, as I said in the last uh, episode, I go back and forth about whether or not I want to because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of feelings involved in in meeting uh, this person. But when she said that, I knew I knew I wanted to meet him. Not today, not tomorrow. Not for a little while. I would like to be back to feeling more like myself. Uh, I would like to be able to move slightly faster than a snail's pace. I would like it to not hurt when I laugh or cry, being the bigger parts of that, because right now that is an issue with which we are dealing. Um, But down the line, I do. I do want to meet him. And I knew it as soon as she said that. Um, So stay tuned for that update podcast episode. Coming who knows when. Probably not for a month or so. Um, so that was that. That was the moment that I knew it was worth it. And uh, I asked her because uh, be, because of COVID, the visiting hours in the hospital are are truncated, um, and it was kind of coming up on the beginning of, of visiting hours. And I said, "Does he have any family or friends coming to see him?" And she said, "Oh, his girlfriend is coming, uh, and she'll be with him for a while." So uh, sorry to disappoint all of you who were trying to stand uh, me and my recipient as, you know, uh, inevitable love match in addition to being a kidney match. But he's got a girl, so sorry about that. But who knows? Maybe he's got a hot older brother or, like, sexy best friend or, I don't know, you know. You never know. Never say never. So, uh, yeah, so that was the majority of the first morning. And... And the rest of the day was mostly just me trying to maneuver my my very fragile body around. Um, they want you to be up and walking as soon as you feel you can, uh, because the the number one job that I have right now is to fart. <laughs> uh, because of, because it's a laparoscopic surgery, they pump your abdomen full of CO two gas, which gets absorbed into your bloodstream and uh, is non-toxic to the body, but it inflates the stomach so that they can see the, the organs better. And it, uh, it requires a much smaller incision than you would if you had like, like a cesarean, basically. So um, the smaller the incision, the better, which is great. But because of that, a lot of gas gets pumped into your body and your body has to work it out. Um, and the way it works it out is the way it works out any gas, which is farting. <laughs> The other way it seems to be working it out, and this is not uncommon for laparoscopic surgeries, but unfortunately is my number one complaint at the moment, is it works it out through your shoulders. It fucking sucks. <laughs> it is very painful. Um, it's not as bad as when I was recovering from rotator cuff surgery back in 2018, because that I could not sleep for like three days after that surgery because I could not find a single position that didn't hurt while I was lying in bed. Gracias a Dios, I have, I have 27 pillows and salon patches and oxy and Tylenol and 
heat packs and I, I have been able to sleep. Thank God, since I got home. Because um, otherwise I would be very, very grumpy. Um, so we're, you know, that, that was mostly the first day was just trying to find positions that didn't hurt, trying to get up and walk around a little bit. And I did, and I was able to accomplish that. I was still hooked up to an IV. So every time I had to get up, um, I was on a catheter, so I didn't have to get up to go to the bathroom for a little while. But they eventually took the catheter out and I had to, you know, do it myself, which was great. Um, and a very sweet Albanian nurse named Georgina was there to help me and walked me around and was very patient. So God bless you, Georgina, wherever you are. Um, yeah, uh, so that was basically the first day I I uh, passed out of gas. <laughs> And had a BM enough to graduate to solid food, which was a fucking blessing. Um, they brought me, I mean, y'all have seen hospital food, I'm sure it is. It is not um, much to write home about. But man, when you have been on nothing but apple juice and IV drips for three friggin' days, that turkey sandwich tasted so damn good. Now, granted, I did not have a huge appetite because... Anything going into my stomach put pressure on the area that had just had surgery, so I wasn't able to eat much, but what I was able to eat tasted so good. <laughs> um, and then the next day I had solid food for breakfast, and, and they discharged me uh, on the third day. Now, some people are able to be up and running and going home um, the day after surgery. I do not know who those people are, and they are clearly rock stars. Uh, I I definitely needed that extra night. I was I was not very mobile on that first day as as best I tried and I was getting up by myself once they unhooked the IV. I was able to you know do that and actually even when even before they unhooked the IV I was rolling around with my IV making TikTok videos because can't keep me down for long. Um but yeah, by the by the next day I was feeling significantly better. It's it's surprising. One of the things that I've read up on and, and what people have told me is um, a lot of times as a donor, because your body has lost an organ, um, despite the fact that you still have it, a kidney that is going to be doing the work, and it, the kidney will actually grow in size over time to compensate for the lack of its, of its twin, um, usually the donor's energy is very, very low for the first, certainly for the first few days, but like the first couple of weeks. Um, and like, yes, I am tired and I get winded faster, but I don't, I don't really feel a huge difference in energy to be perfectly honest. I, I feel pretty normal, um, for all intents and purposes. Uh, yesterday I did take myself for a little walk. I got very winded after walking about four blocks, um, but also that was partly because I was picking up the lidocaine patches and my shoulders started to really hurt halfway through that walk. So um, not going to do that again. The other weird thing that I've, I've noticed um, that happened sort of on the morning of my last day in the hospital is I have a bit of numbness in my left thigh. Now, that's not terribly uncommon, but it's also not terribly common. Um, but uh, I was able to reach out and connect with a gentleman named Hendrick, who is also a non-directed donor, and he told me that he experienced um, numbness in his thigh for quite a while, for a few months. Had I not connected with him, that would have scared the ever-loving bejesus out of me. Now, I don't have any pain with the numbness. I don't have any 
Um, it's not keeping me from walking or, or limiting me in any way, but I am aware of it. And I did tell the doctors before I left and they were like, okay, that's a little weird, but not too concerning. And it could be part of the like anesthesia block that was put in that's maybe still working its way out through my body. It could be anything. Um, but as it's not inhibiting my recovery at the moment, they're not too, too worried about it. But I will keep an eye on it. I have a follow-up um, appointment with the surgeon on the 31st. I've scheduled it to be in person, uh, which may be ambitious. Let's find out. And I told him, I said, well, let's do it for in person because I would like for him to see, you know, in real life how everything's going. If for whatever reason I decide shortly before that appointment that I am not up for an in-person meeting, can we change it to a, di uh, a virtual meeting? She said, yeah, that's no problem. So we're good. We're good to go on that front. Um, but yeah, uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm, uh, I'm walking. I can get out of bed just fine. I mean, it takes longer than usual. I'm walking slowly. I'm walking a little hunched over because it's hard to sit up straight with, you know, recovering abdominal surgery. Um, farting like a champion, if I do say so myself. I'm very proud of myself. I, I do have... I was sent home with two prescriptions, one for Oxy, one for a stool softener. Uh, I am using both. <laughs> I'm, I'm being pretty judicious with the Oxy, though, partly because one of the side effects is that it stops you up, and that is not something that we need right now. But, you know, pain is pain. And I, I'm generally very reticent to use pain medications, partly because um, pain med abuse runs in my family, and it's something that gives me the heebie-jeebies and I need to be very, you know, cognizant of how much I'm using and, and whatnot. Uh, but also I I like to be I like to be aware of my pain. Like I said, pain is an old friend. Pain is not an enemy on the horizon. Um, and if I know how big the pain is and if I know where it is, I have a better sense of how my body is healing. But at the same time, I'm not trying to, like, tough it out. God, no, because no, because <laughs> it hurts. I am in pain. I would be lying if I said that I wasn't. Um, and I know that the pain will pass. And I know that I have all the tools I need to to get through it and to live a, you know, relatively normal life in this first few weeks of, of healing. Um, and I am also exceedingly grateful for my roommate Chris Miner who has offered to be my my lifter of heavy things and fetcher of things he has been wonderful and I am I am so grateful to have him here and also for Yaniv who picked me up from the hospital took my bags home helped me up the stairs which took a hundred years but I made it um and just I wish I guess is the perfect segue to talk about the absurd amount of care and attention and generosity and kindness that I have received from friends leading up to the surgery and also post-surgery. People checking in, um, people, people sending me little gifties in the mail, little care packages or like some fun little thing from Amazon. I, I, I literally lost track of the number of like gifts I had been given. Um, 
to the point where I was like, oh shit, I gotta write this down. And um, as somebody who who struggles very, very much, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode too, I struggle a lot with asking for help. I struggle a lot with admitting that I need help in the first place. So let's be honest. Asking for help and accepting help. Fuck, dude. Like, I'd rather donate my other kidney than ask for help. <laughs> so this entire process has been a an opportunity to stretch my muscles, <laughs> my emotional muscles, to accept the fact that I have a lot of people in my life who love me, who care about me, who... who it makes them feel good to help me. Which is like, wait, what? I don't understand these words. I don't understand this concept. That is hard. That is really hard for me to comprehend. Because I was raised with the idea that asking for help made you a burden on other people. And, and the worst thing that you could possibly be in this world is a burden to somebody else. Didn't matter what you needed. Didn't matter what you wanted. God forbid you are ever a burden for anybody else. So I was like, okay, well, how about I just like never need anything ever? That, that'll fix the problem. Nailed it. Pro tip, that does not fix the problem. <laughs> it makes it a lot worse. So I have been just basking in the glow of the wonderful people who who want to make who want to make my life slightly easier you know the, it's it's the reason that I donated a kidney it comes from the exact same place it's just manifested slightly differently oh excuse me hang on but it's that impulse of seeing somebody else in pain and having something trigger inside of you that says I, w- I want to help ease that um, that's that's why I donated a kidney and that's why people are helping me and and I am so blessed to be surrounded by so many people who share that impulse with me um, it's been it's been nuts <laughs> it's been nuts um and it's and it's still coming in i mean i just i had two amazon deliveries this afternoon that i did not know were coming from two friends um one of whom uh teresa sent me this sparkly wine tumbler which is so perfect for me uh i can't have wine for probably another week or so but whew, when i do it is coming straight out of that tumbler uh and then my friend jacks uh, who's a wonderful artist, sent me this little like paint by stickers mosaic kit, which so perfect. I love mosaics. It looks like so much fun. Um, completely unsolicited. Just, just because. Um, one of the reasons that I stopped celebrating my birthday several years ago is I, I started really thinking about what the purpose of a gift is, what the purpose of a celebration is. And I started getting really disenchanted with holidays. And this is weird coming as somebody who loves Christmas, but 
what I love about Christmas is the like pomp and circumstance around it and all the decorations and the baking cookies and putting up trees and, and stuff. The gift giving I kind of don't give a shit about uh, because it feels arbitrary. You know, I'm giving you a gift because it is December 25th. I am giving you a gift because today is, is the anniversary of the day of your birth. And, and it feels very, it feels very arbitrary. It feels very ob- obligatory. And a gift given out of obligation is not a gift. It's, I don't, I don't know what it is, but it, it's hollow. It loses its meaning when it's given out of obligation. no me gusta. So, so I stopped telling people when it was my birthday several years ago. I don't like it being, I don't like to be celebrated on the day that I arbitrarily chose to exist. I say chose because I was two weeks late. So you got to imagine that I probably had a hand in it. Um, but this, getting gifts from people because I, uh, because of something that I am really proud of, that feels good. That feels really good. That, that has renewed my, my enjoyment of the concept of a gift because that's what a gift is. It is given freely. It is given without obligation. It is given without strings and expectations. It is given out of a pure desire to give somebody else joy. Which gives you residual joy, hopefully, as long as you're not a psychopath. Um, That is what a gift is. And I gave a gift to somebody that I don't know. And in return, I have got so many gifts from so many people. And that is a cycle that I really would like to continue. So, oh, girl, she got a little weepy today. It's fine. It's fine. We're feeling some feelings. Um, If you are listening to this podcast and you are a blubbering mess like I am, give a gift today. Somebody you love, somebody you don't know, doesn't matter. Give it to yourself. Take, take. 2% 2% of the energy that you have today and and give it in whatever way you, you feel is appropriate. Do it with consent, please. Please, please do it with consent. I will cut you <laughs> if you don't do it with consent. But, but give it. If you have it to give, give it. Because I can guarantee you that whoever is the recipient of that energy could use that extra percentage. There is not a single person existing right now who is running on 100% full, fulfilled capacity right now. Or ever, really, but certainly not during a panini. Um, give it freely. Give it without expectation. Give it without strings. And you'll feel like a million goddamn dollars. Thanks for listening. And I'll update you soon.